Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Delaney Stovall. Hey, y'all. And Maddie Potter. Hey. Yes, the Ghibli Rewatch series. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time every Studio Ghibli movie now that they're available for streaming for the first time on HBO Max in the United States and Netflix in most places the rest of the world. Um, we'll be doing a new podcast every Wednesday as we go through the whole Ghibli catalog. Chronologically, you find us at OverlyAnimated.com. Find all the contact links there. I'm a Ghibli expert and we'll be joined by co-hosts with a variety of Ghibli experience this week two coasts with lesser Ghibli experience, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and uh, full spoilers for this movie, My Neighbor Totoro, and vague spoilers for the rest of the Ghibli catalog, but nothing serious if you're going through for the first time. So yes, My Neighbor Totoro this week, um, and last thing, we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss both subbed and dubbed. Uh, watch whatever you want, so don't need to have seen either to listen. But we're going to get into My Neighbor Totoro, very excited for this one. Probably a big anticipated discussion here on one of the most uh, iconic Ghibli movies. Uh, in 1988, this is the next entry from Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I love learning the uh, how long it took each movie to make. Apparently this movie took eight months to make, which is insane. Although this wow. is a shorter one. Um, it was, uh, as discussed extensively last week's uh, Ghibli, Ghibli podcast, was released as a double feature with Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, which turned out to be what? a, uh, okay, you didn't Wait, no, 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 Dylan, what? Learned, yeah, well, we covered it. You're late to the game on this one. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, considering how strange of a pairing this was, this was, uh, not the biggest success right away. <laughs> um, and so it took a few years for Totoro to become what is probably one of the most beloved films ever in Japan. Uh, it is set in the 1950s in Japan, um, very much reflective of Miyazaki's childhood, which we'll talk about, featuring some of his most iconic creatures of all time. And like I said in the beginning, this might be the most iconic Ghibli movie and one of the most iconic, one of the most beloved movies uh, of all time in general. You know, Spirited Away probably the other contender for that. But you know, this is the uh, the Ghibli thing you get in the beginning. Totoro comes on there. Everyone's always talking about Totoro, so uh, we're gonna. We'll be talking about it more here and uh, in depth, get into everything about it. So let's start with, um, we've, we've had both of you on before, so Delaney, newer to the Ghibli movies, but I believe you've seen Totoro before. So what's your history with this movie and what did you think of it when you rewatched it now? So I, you know, I knew Totoro from all of like, you know, the merch, you know, everyone like, you know, you'd go into Hot Topic and there's... <laughs> <laughs> there's Totoro. Yeah, that's where you know Totoro from. Hot topic. Yeah, there you go. But no, it's no, true. no, no, there is like, a lot so, there though. There is a lot, and so what? that was like kind of like my idea of like you know like like what you were saying like this is like the most beloved uh, Ghibli film like you know there's all this stuff uh, with Totoro on it and I you know I I didn't watch it until two years ago. I my roommate at the time, it's his favorite it's one of his favorite movies ever. And it's his favorite Ghibli movie. And so he was like, we should all watch it together. So it was me, my fiance and him. And we watched it and I loved it. And also, you know, it's nice, you know, this, this, it's his favorite movie and he wanted to share it with us. So it's like, you know, that's always really nice to, you know, to share that with someone. And I can see why, you know, it's a lot of people's favorite 
Ghibli movie. And then um, to rewatch it, I don't think I got it the first time. Mm. Like the, you know, you watched like, and I don't mean by God, I I mean like what Totoro's about. Because like the first time I was watching it, it was grand. There's also a different mindset when I'm just watching things for pleasure versus like watching things, you know, to to deconstruct. Yeah. And so, um, but you know, I you know it was cute. I really enjoyed it, and you know, I think I was more focused on the mom stuff than maybe kind of the other stuff that was going on, like what it all meant. And so I was able to really get more into that when I was watching it the second time, and it was just as enjoyable. Honestly, so this is really my first time re-watching a Ghibli movie. Like, I'm never, like, I'm going to rewatch Spirited Away, but that movie is so long, and it's going to hurt me to do it. Even though it's a great movie, it's so long. So, I think it's really helpful to re-watch Ghibli movies. Like, you know, I had watched Nausicaa, that was the first time I've ever seen Nausicaa, and then... So, you know, to really get, because I, there are, you know, there's Nausicaa where it's like, it hits you in the face with what it's, what it's about and themes of the movie. And then Totoro is a much subtler movie, which I think can be said of quite a few of Studio Ghibli movies. So I think it was really like helpful for me to watch it again and to, because, you know, the first time you watch it, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Like, what are we doing? And then so it helps to. Yeah, And I talked about this on the Nausicaa pod, like you're kind of thrown into this world where you don't really understand what's going on. And that's one of those things with like Studio Ghibli movies, which he does like he does such a great job of like it's every time it's a completely new world. You have no idea what's going on. You don't know like where we are, what time it is, like who you're going to see. And so, you know, the first five, ten minutes you know, like, you know, where you're just seeing the landscape and you're getting used to like what's going on, like where we are. So I, re- I mean, I just, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, spread away two hours, five minutes, not that long, but it's one of those ones. I think that feels a lot longer. Uh, definitely. Not yeah. Slow. We talked I, about it's that. just, yeah, just like slower pace. So we'll be very excited when we get to spread it away. But, um, yeah, interesting about the rewatching and, uh, yeah, I endorse that. I've seen all the Miyazaki movies multiple times and you get something new, I think, a lot of times from rewatching them. Um, though the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, from rewatching is Maddie, who just watched this movie literally just now. So we're getting your fresh reactions to it, Tedro, it, it, Maddie. I literally stopped watching 15 minutes ago. Yeah, you're bragging about that? No, I'm not bragging about it. I'm saying I've made these decisions, Dylan. I kind (laughs) of hate myself for it. No, it's great. We get your fresh reaction. So tell us. Oh, yeah, they're really good. Um, I want to say that I knew a lot about Totoro before I came into it. It's just, um, there's, I mean, it's it's just a very, like, I got through osmosis. Just people talk about it. Like, I've seen what Totoro looks like on a bunch of merch and a bunch of, just, I mean, it's, the Ghibli logo in, in, in later movies that I've seen. And I knew that it was going to be not very plot driven, I guess is the, is how I'm, what I, what, what I want to say about that. And even then it still was very, very loose in a way that I was not expecting. There was just so, it, and I don't mean that it was like directionless. I just mean that it was very not driven by plot in any way. Like it was just, here's these kids, here's this new place. And it really captured that excitement. And I was really, uh, wait, what am I saying, Dylan? What am I already, what, what was your question? <laughs> 
just what were your reactions to Totoro? We didn't get any okay, specific okay. questions. I, want to make sure I, was I agree with you that time. there's that there's no uh, plot backing to the whole movie. There's no plot yeah. structure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I just realized I did. I wasn't clear of the question, but um, the the, the music, the music really got me again. Like in a uh, Castle in the Sky, the music was just incredible. There was the brass again was very very subdued. There were muted. I think trumpets through the through the through the movie, but there weren't a lot of brass in general. There were some at the end with the cat bus, but a lot of the music was just really, really light. I think there was even some recorders in there at parts. It just felt very childish, very light, very young, and it just always kept this air of just like nothing really has these huge stakes. It was just it, exciting, adventurous, and I really it was really exciting. And I also noticed that there was just a lot of times in this movie when there just wasn't music. They just wanted to give you like these sounds of like this countryside with rain and wind just passing through everything. And I really enjoyed that as well. They really kept things very, they were very careful about how much music they used in this movie. Yeah, uh, I agree. That's definitely noticeable parts. And we'll talk about the score. I believe one of Hisaishi's most notable scores as well. So good to highlight there. Yeah. Um, yeah, sounds like you are, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll develop opinions maybe as we go. We'll have more to comment on as, uh, it's probably a lot to be thrown right into this and then talk about it. Uh, this, even I mean, though this is, this is one of the lighter ones, but, uh, I feel like I have a grasp on what I feel about it. It's just what I, I just don't know where to start, I guess. Okay. Well, we'll start somewhere and we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah, see. Yeah. After, yeah. yeah. No, I, I know you'll give me a direction, Dylan. Well, <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, we could adapt to the, the direction we go in, but I, I feel like we're pretty open at the moment. And uh, I, my, my thoughts on Totoro. So I, I love Totoro. Um, I saw this movie originally as a teenager. Wasn't one that immediately jumped out to me. So maybe I agree with uh, you guys. What I'm sensing from you guys, maybe first viewing, it's I, I'm more into some of the more um, epic fantasy of Miyazaki. This is his his most quiet movie until maybe later. Um, so I, I liked it, um, definitely, uh, captured by Totoro and the creatures, but, um, I think it's taken me until more recently to really, uh, love this movie and this, this, this played really well for me on rewatch this time, you know, uh, I mean, I mean, it's not, uh, whatever X viewing this is and it, it isn't, it probably an easy one to rewatch under an hour and a half. Apparently the movie was originally an hour and stretched it a little bit. Um, with some things as it went on, but uh, it's this movie is just my rea- my big reaction. To this viewing is just so this movie is so joyful. Like I was so happy watching it. Like I just I got joy from this movie that is so rare from watching anything. That's what I'll say about Totoro. Like this just there's like a dramatic like part towards the end, um, which is in service of being the magical resolution, which is brings on even more joy, but. Just vast majority of this movie is some of the most joy I think you'll experience watching anything. That's that's kind of my Totoro take. Um, I it's it, everything is so magical. Um, there's a, there is a lot going on here. It's like a perfect mix of like light fare with a lot of depth behind it. We have plenty to talk about. Um, there's certainly enough enough depth. Uh, I I'm sitting here. I got my uh, my little Totoro from the Ghibli Museum. The blue middle one. Um, I got my uh, suit sprite, the the one of the black dudes, the little black dudes, and uh, I recently got a cat bus. So I'm decked out with the Totoro stuff here. Very excited to to talk about everything from Totoro, including all these creatures. But um, 
I don't know. Do, do, do you guys have that same reaction? That's that's kind of what I'm wondering. Is this this joy I I got from this movie, Delaney? What what's 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 maybe your emotions watching Totoro again? No, I was like that. You know, was hoping we could get into that more. Like I completely. That's how I felt watching it. That was I think my one of the strongest takeaways for me watching the movie was just how happy it made me feel. Like I just you know you just settle in and it's just so like you said, it's such a joyful and it's not, and I don't want to say that it's directionless or there's no plot. It's just, this is an extremely emotional movie. And like, I kind of want to say that the quote unquote plot is a bit, it's kind of like an impressionist, you know, impressionists would like look at a scene and like they would, that's how they would make their art. Well, that's kind of how this is. It's like an impressionist, like movie about and it uh, and it's you know child's emotion and it's really i think they do a great job like of like kind of the ebb and flow throughout the movie and like following may and satsuki and it's just it's just like just magical overall not just like I, we're gonna keep saying magical because there's legit magic but like <laughs> but also because it's just they don't really make movies like this anymore. Like there has to be a plot. There has to be something horrible that happens or there has to be some sort of goal. But this, we just get to exist in this world with these kids. And and obviously things get a little bit, you know, heavier at the end when uh, May goes missing. But still there's that, you know, it's not, it's not that the movie gets, I mean, it does get sad, but it's, it just picks it up a little bit, I guess. Like it just, it just deepens. It's not, I don't like it. Just the movie just makes you feel good. It's like junk food for your eyes. It's like junk food for your eyes. What about like junk? a health? What about like a healthy snack? Okay. It can be a healthy snack, I guess. <laughs> a light but snack. Like, Cause it's short. Like a snack. Okay. <laughs> junk food. I like that. It makes you feel. <laughs> yeah, it just makes well, you feel good. Like it's yeah. just, yeah, I, just, I, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, you can't sure. watch this movie without smiling. Like it's so beautiful, and the kids are so much fun. Even the the dad, like, because the dad is like the most useless human. What? Don't make don't be mean to the dad. I was gonna say this is like the best dad ever. Oh, he's a great dad. I mean, there's a reason you don't, you don't see him doing here. a lot. You don't, but that's also because he has a job and like a wife in the hospital. Yeah, dad's going through a lot. Everyone's going through a lot here. Everyone's going through the most. They're ho- holding on to it. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, Maddie, what what parts of this movie, just watching it, were there any parts that, that brought out that sense of joy Delaney and I are talking about? Yeah, totally. Like, the whole movie did that for me. But I think that what really, what really like, started that emotion for me was at the start of the movie, there was this part where May and Satsuki are looking over their bri- the bridge into this little, like, creek that's flowing underneath and they say oh there's a fish and it's just the way it's animated and everything about it is just so gorgeous it's i I don't know it just so it it gave me it really helped me understand what the movie was going to be just from that one little moment that it was just going to be these kids being so excited about exploring their surroundings exploring the house exploring the woods behind their house and as uh, as you brought up earlier i'm assuming this has to do with miyazaki's childhood like this was similar to his childhood based on that what you said 
Yeah, I, I think you could you could definitely call this uh, he- heavily influenced by his childhood, kind of a magical reimagining of his childhood. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's you you really feel that that uh, how real and uh, the, the 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 you know the emotions he brings to it that he probably experienced, and but it's probably a lot more uplifting version though of his childhood. Well, there's just so much wonder. Yeah, that's a good point. It really captures the wonder. And and a big thing we haven't talked about yet, which we'll, I will get into more depth, but the movie told through the children's perspective. Um, This is maybe not, and that's why, you know, maybe we don't see the dad doing a lot. You know, it's it's whatever the kids see the dad doing, basically. He's probably doing more than that. Um, But we really see it, see it through their eyes, which I think a lot of modern um, animated media uh, imitates. Um, and uh, it's it's not that this is that atypical, like, sure, there's kid protagonists in a lot of other Miyazaki movies. But I think this one, like, really sticks to the kid's perspective the entire movie. Um, and that that maybe leads to the sense of wonder and stuff that we're talking about. Um, I want to see it in this, like, overarching kind of... Uh, genre or description of the movie that I think leads us into a few topics. But um, this movie is a combination of humans, nature, and the supernatural Um, is kind of, I think how you'd sum up this, this movie, the humans and the family and the kids, the nature in the, the tree and the woods and the, the general countryside where they are and the supernatural in Totoro, Capus, the soot sprites, um, I think the the movie's environmentalism, which of course we're talking about a Miyazaki movie, we got to talk about that, kind of comes from the interplay of these elements. And uh, I, I do think it's definitely striking how Totoro is. Um, you you could definitely call it a slice of life movie. Um, it's very grounded in reality and the experiences of this family as they take this move to the countryside um, and deal with. Uh, the the mother and the the wife being sick um and uh but it it there's also a consistent i think an increasing amount of supernatural elements at play fantasy elements um that is Miyazaki's no stranger to but um aren't uh, as typically seeded into real life i would say as this he's a lot of like fantasy based movies but um this is the real world and they're interacting with just supernatural elements that are occurring in in the world in the real world um and uh i don't know delaney having seen from what other miyazaki movies you've seen does this seem different or striking just kind of like the kids like find they find find totoro and they interact with totoro at the may goes into the tree they see totoro at the bus stop um how does it compare to what else you've seen well so to me it's hard not to compare totoro with ponyo which is one of my favorite ghibli movies and which, is a, which is a hot take, but it's I'm glad which is a hot take. I'm glad you have extremely is extremely hot take. I am the only person I, who likes Ponyo. I saw Ponyo. That's that's what's funny. I saw Ponyo before this movie. I, I agree. Ponyo is probably Miyazaki's movie that's most similar to this movie, but he makes it a but lot no, and, in life. And I think I guess the most striking thing about Totoro, I think, is what what really sets it apart from not just. His other films, but I mean, I think films in general and this kind of attitude, like this whole like children and magical creatures, this, they are real. And, but they're also, I think the way they play it up that the, that the adults can't see is, I think, you know, it's a very, 
now it's an extremely common trope. And, you know, like the adults can't see the magical whatever because, you know, they're not innocent or pure anymore. They don't believe. But it's interesting how they play it up. And because it, everything in this movie is so subtle. Like there is like there are a couple moments where like Satsuke literally is like, oh. They can't see the cat bus. But other times, you know, it's very much in the when the smaller creatures are like popping in and out when May's chasing them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she can see them, but the adults can't. And just this, like, I love like one of the most, I think the things that I really love about this movie are their dad, you know, he's like, Oh, we have to go thank the spirit of the forest. You met Totoro. Yeah. And so they go and they pray. And, you know, when they're like, we met Totoro and he's like, Oh my God, that's so great. Like, this is so cool that y'all met Totoro. And there is still that like line between like, are you just a really good dad? Or do you really believe? <laughs> unsure. Yeah. Unsure. I, unclear. I, I think he's just a good dad. I don't think for a second he believes it. Yeah. I yeah think no, I, from, from the child's perspective thing, I think like it doesn't really matter from where we're seeing it. No. Right? Like we, we, we think we are at least the surface level reading is he does believe it. Cause that's what the kids are thinking as he says that. So I think what Miyazaki does so well is that, you know, I was talking earlier, you know, every movie is a new world. Like it's a brand new, whatever universe Miyazaki has created for this film and he makes you believe it and you live in it for however long the movie is. And I think that's, what's, really unique about Totoro is because it's very much the real world and it's but it's just that little flavor of magic yeah um yeah it's very I like the slice of life the way like because it is it's a slice of life with a little bit of magic oh my god it is yeah, uh, we don't need to call it a uh, some somewhat looked down upon term, much to my chagrin. So we can. Uh, av- it's not av- everything. Dylan. I don't look down everything. upon it. I just realized that you, Dylan, made me watch this. And I know uh, you love this. Uh, yeah, but like I said, I did connect more originally with with the the other ones, um, the more fantasy ones. Let me bring in a quote about this. Uh, I'll be bringing quotes here from Susan Napier, author of Miyazaki World uh, book, uh, and this this one's on the. The, this kind of human nature and supernatural that I taught, that I mentioned, which is which kind of comes from her chapter on Totoro. She says, The first storyboard that Miyazaki made for Totoro was an evocative, slightly surreal image. A young girl waits at a bus stop in the rain, holding a red umbrella, while a strange non-human creature, Totoro, stands beside her. The image would evolve into the film's iconic poster, just opposing humanity, nature, and the supernatural, giving equal weight to all three. The tall trees and the rain suggest the mystery and power of nature, while the large non-human form suggests another kind of mystery. Initially, there's only one girl in the movie, and in this image, she gazes calmly, taking both weather and the supernatural visitor in her stride. Uh, so this kind of references the what I believe to be the, like the most iconic uh, image uh, imagery from the movie, which is um, Totoro and then Manzatsuki at the bus stop. Um, and that was the, the first kind of image Miyazaki created. That's kind of what this movie is based on. Um, and from what I understand of Miyazaki's process, at least later in his life, is he starts from images and an image board rather than like making a script for the movie it's kind of his unique way of doing things so he starts with this one image he'll draw a lot of different images based off this as he in his head he starts to like get the the story of the movie there and then um from there he just like goes straight into the storyboards which is um 
from what I understand, a pretty unique process relative to how modern animation is made. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just the, the iconic, for me, this iconic, uh, image and scene in the film at the bus stop and then, yeah, showcasing these, these different elements. Um, and, uh, I, I think, I think it just, that, that's maybe where the magic comes from is, um, it, it's interaction of the, the, these fantasy elements within the real world. Um, you know, I think Spirited Away comparing maybe his two most iconic films, Spirited Away is completely magical as well. It's like a different type of magic, though. It's like a very immersive magic that uh, you you're 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 you jump into this world. Um, Spirited Away, it's like this is firmly rooted in a real place at a real time from memories of Miyazaki in 1950s Japan, from where he grew up, and uh, it's it's like there's some magic that a different type of magic. And in, 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 when you watch this movie, it's hard to not feel like even more magic to a certain extent from it of just seeing these elements interact with with such a real grounded kind of uh, landscape, I would say. Um, well, it has I think a lot has like it's interesting when we talk about the th- the separation of the human, the nature and the magical elements, because I think the nature is really what lends itself to a lot of that the magical because um, you know they they intertwine so beautifully, but also this wonder at the tree, the uh, Sukumori um, forest, and the, this giant tree that, like, of course, a child would be like, "Well, that has to be a magical tree. It's huge." And this, and so it's fun because you know just the commentary about all well, so the trees, you know, so the nature is its own thing, but then also they play into each other so well. The you know, this mystical forest and especially like the iconic scene, like every, you know, it's in cl- like when they're waiting at the bus stop, everything is so enclosed, like the canopy above them. And even the way the trees are animated, this was something that was striking to me when I watched it this, the second time was everything is so beautiful. Like, you know, every, obviously it's a Ghibli movie. It's, it's gorgeous, but the animation for the trees is different. It, a lot of the background trees, they don't look real. They're, they're almost not as detailed as everything around them. And I think that has to do with kind of like the, the, you know, the one, some of the trees aren't real, <laughs> but like, you know, when they, you know, when they go on their magical adventure with Totoro when they're growing their trees, but you know, this kind of like fade, this like shadowy fading in and out of the background trees, I think, you know, adds to that, the mystery of the forest and also like, the forest is also the center of basically the magical activity happening in the movie because like it's kind of it's like is Totoro the tree? Is he the forest of the tree? Like uh, not the forest, the spirit of the forest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yep. that's like kind of kind of the interpretation the dad gives in the movie. <laughs> right. I would say. I like I like your pull of the Sukumori forest. I assume because I have it on the outline, but maybe you, you got it on your own. That was impressive. Um, and uh, the yeah, I like that analysis, the backgrounds and stuff. That's really interesting. Um, I I want to bring uh, first of all, I want to read this this kind of summary because since we're talking about Totoro's magic, this hits on a lot of things we talked to talk about, and we'll talk about kind of Napier's like synopsis of her Totoro analysis. She says, Totoro's final magic and the reason why its uh, its appeal is so profound and universal is that it allows us to recover what we have forgotten and to luxuriate in innocence, beauty, and joy, if only for a few transitory moments. 
Um, so we'll talk about this for, uh, recover we have forgotten type of themes that the movie has. Um, but uh, an, an, another aspect also from from Napier is we want to bring in kind of some of the darker elements uh, later in the movie or like what the characters are going through and kind of how the the magic uh, relates to that. So kind of first an explanation of that and then getting into to how uh, the, the fantasy elements tie into that in the movie. Um, she says on a deeper level, it explores tra- a traumatic, uh, explores traumatic issues of loss, grief, and the need for recovery or compensation. These issues stem from both from Miyazaki's own childhood and temporary loss of his mother due to her struggle with tuberculosis and from the more universal losses, um, that modernity had wreaked upon Japan, especially its countryside. What makes Totoro so remarkable and affecting, however, is that Miyazaki resolves these issues through fantasy, allowing viewers to confront difficult emotions through a filter of enchantment that overlays the darkness with a sense of possibility and joy and transcendence. The, this combination of darkness and light processed through a child's perspective is what stra- strengthen the film's core, strengthens the film's core message. While Totoro expresses far more joy than sadness, the director's ability to interweave challenging emotions throughout the film is what gives its over optimistic message both nuance and substance um and i agree with that last part i feel like totoro doesn't fall into like being too light or anything because there's this undercurrent of dealing with hard hard times both through their uh, both through the kid's mother being sick and then right away from the kids immediately like their life being upended and then moving to the countryside and we kind of see how they process that right away in the movie um and all of this is kind of dealt with with i mean the with good uh you know with with positive attitudes from everyone but with uh joy in the form of kind of the magic that that is encountered um and uh i i like the uh this kind of notion that viewers are confronting difficult things through the through the magic um overlaying the darkness with uh with with this joy um Maddie, how do you think the for how did for you how did it would feel the maybe some of the darker undercurrents of the movie and how magic uh related to them? How did that work for you? I just think that for me, other than like one or two scenes, the movie just wasn't that dark for me. Like I just didn't I, I know that it was supposed to be an undercurrent, like it's supposed to be about these kids and it's about and the mom is in the hospital, but even then, like I just could tell the mom wasn't going to die because of just That's good. of like of like the way the movie was going. I think I, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if of uh, how dark I was supposed to be reading that because I just didn't read it as very dark at all. And I think that colored the way that I ingested the rest of the movie because it just felt more like this candy like saccharine like movie and i don't mean that in a bad way like it, it's just like you need that kind of movie sometimes where it's just really happy and really fun and there's not a lot of stakes going on that said there is one scene where they're trying to fish a fish a sandal out of like yes and it's like out of nowhere they're yes just, well the, like, the whole part is may is missing and that's uh, a certain amount of darkness to it but then there's a very tense one where the uh, yeah. gets to identify if the sandal is is, is which means is may dead or not yes and they're just like poking around with a stick and i'm just like is this where we are right now just that maybe this child is dead maybe it, like it, it was just it just felt very um anachronistic with the rest of the movie for me it, it didn't line up quite well for me because i just it just, just the mood of the movie did not 
fit with any of that. And I don't know if that was, like, I didn't feel like it was in a good way. I, I, I felt better when the movie was just being fun. Yeah. I think all of those are, 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 are pretty, t- pretty good and typical opinions. Of them. I think that the parts that work better are like the magical happy parts. Um, and also, gen- you know, right, generally the movie is very, very happy late, like we've said. And it is more of an undercurrent. I think some of these things are end up being more subtle. And I think reading the analysis helps with, um, I think the, the family is, it, it, they are going through a hard time and you don't see it based on how they're reacting, but that's just because they're, um, choosing to deal with it in a very positive way. They're able to deal with it in a very positive way. Also, because I, the dad is, um, probably the be- best aspect of him other than like how he reacts to, uh, to May, like saying she saw Totoro, which is um, above and beyond in terms of instantly believing and validating, uh, I would say. Um, it's a very atypical, you see this type of reaction, I think, um, in movies and stuff. Um, but him, just him kind of like helping the kids cope with this move and with their mom being gone. And I, it's definitely like not uh, s- surface level in the movie, but the definitely the biggest scene, I think, where this is apparent is they're in the bath and he is like screaming uh, after there's this like really scary winds and stuff outside. And he's like having the girls uh, scream with him to uh, like ward off the, their fear. Um, so I think it's, um, it's like happily they're overcoming uh, even if it's in a subtle manner. Um, and uh, yeah, Delaney, what, what's, what, what, what was your um, view of any sort of, um, difficult uh situations the characters when are difficult emotions um from the movie and how like the movie dealt with that well i think one because of the you know the movie is from the children's perspective it's you know it's very sudden but you can see it building like when i say sudden it's because you know everything falls apart all at once and so i think one it's very and it's not that I didn't, you know, it's not like I watched the movie and I was like, oh, it's from the, like, it's not like I'm, like, amazed that we're talking about it from the children's perspective. But I do think that really has helped me frame more of, like, what's going on in the movie. Is this, like, and the movie is so, it's so driven by emotion. So then when things get bad, they get bad because everything is so. Yeah, it's, like, heightened. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard. Like, when they get that, you know. The very this, the telegram, and then when, and also it's just this doubt. They don't know what's happening, and no one will tell them. And you know, their dad's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go see her in the hospital." Well, the kids don't know now. Like they, they're now out of loop. They don't know how their mother's doing, and all that doubt of her being sick comes comes back. And I think one of the most powerful scenes in the movie is when you finally see Sasuke breakdown because she is such a strong like force in the film and she is very much the you know the older sister she's you know helping may and you know she's she seems so sure of herself and she knows what to do you know she's kind of taken on this you know not that she's being like the mom but like she does you know she makes everyone food and she's taken on a lot of a lot of responsibility while her mother's been gone. And then when she breaks down, I think that's for me, that was one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. And of course that is also when May's like, I'm out. <laughs> May takes off. And I think, 
I, when I watched the movie the first time, I was so caught up in me being like, oh my God, is the mom going to die? So like, that was like one of those, like I was so caught up in that, that I wasn't able to appreciate, you know, talking about how everything gets solved, quote unquote, uh, with, with, with the magic. And I think that's just, it really hit me this time when, you know, they get on the cat bus and the cat bus is like, okay, we found May. Well, let's go see your mom. Cause that's, what's wrong. Y'all need to go see your mom. And you, you know, that, that doubt needs to go away and they're able to give her the corn and everything, you know, turns out. Okay. So I think it's this interesting, the magic answers questions that no one will answer for the kids. You know, it's kind of like this easy solution that, cause that's what it is. Like it's this doubt, this, and you know, Totoro being the sweetie that he is, is like, well, okay, he's, let's he's go. He's such a sweetie. Totoro is a sweetie. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think so. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the magic magic answer is kind of like what life doesn't for these children in a way, right? That's and that's really what you're saying. Yeah, and I think that's really the. It's so satisfying. And I think that's one of the things, this is such a satisfying conclusion to the movie because they're like, they get home and they're like, done, movie's over. And that's one of those, like, it just feels so good because, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, if they would just talk to each other for 30 seconds, this movie would be over. You know, stuff like, you know, there's a lot of like ridiculous um, conflicts and stories in general sometimes. But then this, you know, that's all that they just wanted to see their mom. They wanted to see that she was okay. And so the cat bus took them to her. Yeah. That's really it. Can, and then it's can I talk bit. about the cat bus now? We can talk about the cat bus. Was that your uh, biggest reaction to the fantasy yeah, elements Dylan, was to the cat bus? It was bus? my biggest reaction. In what, in what way? I hate the cat bus. What's oh, wrong with no. you? Oh, no. Is it too, is it its evil, is so evil creepy. grin? Yeah, it's creepy. No, grin, no, 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 no. I'm fine with the outside of it. I hate the inside. I hate because it's a cat ins- on the inside. I hate sitting inside the cat bus. It's awful. It's just how it works. I don't sitting. like it. I would ride in the cat bus. I wouldn't. I'd be scared that it like close up and it would like be eating me. Like it was a trick. It's one of those like like supernatural <laughs> yeah. things that eat oh, you. No. Cat bus is gonna eat you. I. I- <laughs> I thought it's it was fair, incredible. I thought all take. the animation with it, Dylan, was incredible. But I hated Cat Bus on so many levels. Is it like cat body horror? Is that why? Yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> like, you just said that out. Headlights. Look, the, no, I've never said that phrase before, but I guess it applies. And to you this never movie. will again. Right, never. Hopefully not. Uh, yeah, we got the. Yeah, so we can we can come back to the. <laughs> No, let's let's go let's go through let's go through the creatures. Let's go. It's part of the magic, but um, I think it's like the most uh, memorable part of the movie is all the creatures. We got yeah, we got the cat bus. Um, I I don't think it's like is as innately lovable as a Totoro, uh, but it's 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 supernaturalness. I think is um is very apparent. Um, I feel like the cat bus is like. Miyazaki comes up with this bus stop uh, image. Totoro's waiting at the bus stop as the initial thought, uh, the initial image of the movie. And it's like, what's Totoro waiting at the bus stop for? He doesn't ride a real bus. Oh, he rides a cat bus. Okay. Like, and then it's okay. There's this cat bus. Uh, but it's also, also I, I assume that's how it went. Um, I also, guess, I, I guess. Also, he didn't get on the cat bus, though, did he? 
He gets on the cat bus, yeah. Yeah, Totoro oh, oh, with sorry, the umbrella. Sorry. In the, the beginning. High, the and, then, and then at the end, he, he sends Satsuki on the cat bus to find Mei, too. Um, cat, cat bus is great. Uh, Totoro itself, you know, the, the titular Totoro. Uh, Delaney brought up the merchandise. One of the most heavily merchandised characters in the world, I would say. Um, because he's adorable. I, yeah, and they they go they go hard on the Totoro merch. I think I think he's one of the most uh member the most known characters probably in the world. I think you see a lot of Totoro here. Um definitely definitely see a lot of Totoro in Japan everywhere. Um and uh it, Totoro as the, as the Ghibli mascot. Um I think um you you probably understand why watching this movie. Totoro is pretty magical. Um and he's 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 like it's interesting that he's magical in a way that i feel like this type of character would not be in current movies and stuff he has this like creepy grin also like the cat bus um he's very uh he he like jumps down to like have the raindrops hit the umbrella and he's like very amused at that um but uh you know it's not this overt cuteness or anything uh i think it's 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 interesting but uh he's he's very um he's great when may finds him the first time and then uh, he takes them on the 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 journey with sprouting the seeds, and then uh, into the air. Um, and uh, maybe it is most sweetiness, if if that's what he is, Delaney, when he uh, helps <laughs> helps at the end with Satsuki. I would say he's yeah, very very uh, accommodating and helpful there. Um, typically, kind of the the forest spirit, the the spirit type creature is more ambivalent. I would say Totoro um, wants to help at the end. That's very nice. Seems does seem to care about the kids. Gives them the thing, the seeds, then helps them sprout the seeds. Um, but uh, yeah, Del- what, what's your what's your connection with Totoro Delaney? Well, I think like we talked about this movie is from the children's perspective, and I think that's really what sells Totoro is because when May encounters Totoro, I think your first natural response is like, oh god, like because he's so big and like. And to see a slumbering beast, like a you're not really scary sure at what... first. Yeah, it's a little I, scary. I, I like the idea of calling Totoro a slumbering beast. I would never use the so word he beast. Is. He's but he's slumbering. Not... Okay, May. Uh, he's, he's a troll type character. That's where May kind of gets the Totoro name from. Right. And it's also great that uh, May names Totoro too. Oh, it's so. And that's the thing. It's really it's May's reaction to Totoro that really is like May's. Like you are the best thing I have ever seen, and I'm going to take a nap right here. And then you're like, <laughs> and then of course Totoro's like, okay, we're napping. And then, and also, you know, when Totoro, like just, it's also interesting because Totoro never speaks. And he says Totoro. He does say Totoro, but like, he doesn't talk in the way that a lot of creatures like this would maybe talk in another film. Yeah. Like they're silent and a lot of the music does the talking, like, you know, the little tinkles and little like it's very soft. I mean he doesn't talk like Gigi in the next movie we'll be talking about, you know. He's uh he is another cat, but uh yeah, he, he he's very yeah, very soft, um and is I feel Totoro like he's a cat? The cat bus is a cat, not the not Totoro. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so I don't know what animal you'd call Totoro. Um you got the, the medium Totoro and then the little Totoro too. Are they all Totoros? They're all, you know, it's not clear. They're probably all Totoros. Probably. Yeah. Because Totoro is like a troll in May's book. Mm -mm. 
So your your uh, your interpretation is this is all made up by May. Is that what you're saying, Delaney? Oh no, I don't see. <laughs> that sounded what, like what where are you're you... going with that. I don't even know how to feel about being called out like this, like just point blank. <laughs> you, you, if it's <laughs> from the book, then it's imagined, right? Well, that's what I, I think... thought you were saying. Well, yes, but well, it's one of those the name. Interesting... That's where she gets kind of the yeah, that's where she gets from. the name. Yeah. yeah, like she's like Totoro, and they're like, oh yeah, you met Totoro, and so granted, he does say like. That's something I missed on my first watch was this the the idea that the book, not that the book's a big deal or anything, but like the idea that May had been reading about Totoro and then met Totoro. Well, mm. when I watched it the first time, I was just like, oh, yeah, he says his name is Totoro. Yeah, she's interpreting based on, on what she's right. experienced. Because he doesn't speak. Yeah, I will say there's a whole conspiracy theory involving Totoro where uh, what? Where, there's a con- like, wait, wait, wait. There's a conspiracy theory for this movie of all movies. Yeah, I mean it's what you know. If you get big enough, you get a conspiracy theory where uh, it's the it's like everyone's dead basically in the movie, and this is like some uh, like the mom dies when the May actually dies in the lake. You know, there's, there's all the all the you know. That's, it's it's that's such a- that's such a boring conspiracy theory because it's just the same conspiracy theory for like almost every movie. It's actually yeah. all heaven. Yeah, it's darker when you apply it to the most uh, happy movie ever. But uh, it's, uh, it's true. No, it's, I, they, 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 Studio Ghibli said not true. So it's not. I mean, not, did they oh, really the dark? I just remember this is this was tied with Grave of the Fireflies. The darkness is there. Like that's where the darkness is. That's really. where the darkness is. Yes, they yes. released them together so that they weren't nearly so just to make it a little bit better that they hurt you. When Dude, you watch Grave of the Fireflies. Were they like a double feature or yeah, are they so like. You, you watched them both, yeah. Wait, which one was which first? One? Yeah, we just. Okay, we talked about this last podcast. We don't know. They, they probably switched it up or something at some point. Okay, I hope it, it was working. Grave of the Fireflies first. So you that was, ended yeah, with you, Totoro. You, that's, that's what the general consensus seems to be. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to keep bringing you back to that, Dylan. Both, I just both, not both get 90 that. minute movies. I, I would say Grave of the Fireflies is the most depressing movie I've seen. And I might say this is the happiest movie I've seen. So it is the craziest combination. Um, but, uh, so we got, we got Totoro, we got Kappos. How about the, the suit sprites or the dust bunnies? I think the, the, the official subtitles call them dust bunnies. Um, uh, Maddie, I know you, you watched the dub, which we can talk about too. Oh, I, you, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what they called them in the dub, but now that you said dust sprites, that's all I can think. Like, I, I like were... suits. I like suit sprites as the name. That's my preferred name. But so I mean, is that what they're out there in the dub? The suit sprites? They're dust bunnies in the in the sub. Uh, I, I don't. I don't remember. They're the like they're like dust sprites or suit sprites. They use something like yeah. that. They say all of all of them are valid, and they come back in. In spared it away, of course. Um, the these suit sprites aren't they in Howl's Moving Castle too? Or I don't I... think so. I don't think so. Um, um, I guess. There's, uh, sorry. Sorry. Similar-ish creatures. Anyway, Matt, what's your? Do you have any takes on the soot sprites, Maddie? I those are the one thing that I I questioned whether they're real or not because they really only like we see them with May, and then they just and and they're in the house that's just not like it just it just seemed like that they're ma- they're trying to make a game out of like catching the dust that's in this old house it, that's what it really feels like to me but i like the idea of it they really add this really like fun energy to the first like bit of the movie also yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm backing up a sec i needed to bring this up totoro doesn't show up for 30 minutes dylan mm-hmm. yeah 
He just doesn't show up for 30 minutes. And suits, he's suits, the titular... suits Brights anchor the movie until yeah, then. Yeah, they I'd anchor say. the movie yeah. for like 30 minutes. And there's nothing. There's no magic. It's just the kids in some suit Sprites that you're... I at least wasn't quite sure if they were real or not. They, they're more... Yeah, they, they validate the, the later magic. But the suit Sprites, it's like it's the child's eyes. They're leaving the house. And you get, they, it's, it's like it is unclear if they're just like the dirt in the house. They're, they're, probably, they're probably symbolic of... Um, of, of, of certain things but like just uh, making games out of stuff like just everything like when they were running through the house and they were going up these places and whenever they were alone just the two of them they were just playing games no matter what it was and there always seemed to be something magical to play with what, what do you think of that approach to the movie of maybe starting off more grounded and then ramping up kind of the the fantasy elements as it goes i like it I liked the way we ramped up. I think that we went a little too far at the end. I think I honestly would have liked it stayed a little more grounded at the end. Um, I think having the magical things actively affect the story in some way takes away from the magic of whether this is real or not. I, I dislike the idea that Cat Bus is real for sure. I like I like being able to... <laughs> Well, yeah, you're just I, you're just upset that the, in this movie's interpretation like, of our world, cat bus exists. Yeah, yeah you might but, have to enter the cat bus. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, the, just just so I'm clear, the cat bus is very cute. I just don't want to ride in it. <laughs> but 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 I think that um, the movie is better up until that point because everything is just so through the children's eyes, and it doesn't really affect the story because they have that dream or dream like sequence where they make all the, the tree grow outside the house, and then they wake up and the trees are just sprouted. Like, I, I like that. I like that version of it more than them actually taking the cat bus to the hospital. Yeah, let's talk about the ending a little bit. Miyazaki often has uh, either controversial or interesting, like very uh, open-ended, more interesting in endings. Not necessarily always open-ended, but um, there, there one, I feel like we've talked about the ending of every, of every one of his movies so far. So let's talk about this one. Here's a quote from Susan Napier. Um, related to the ending. Miyazaki's decision to go from magical resolution to real-life trauma underlies one of the key's film me- the films the film's key messages that belief in the powers of nature and the imagination will give us the strength to go beyond ourselves and transcend the traumas of daily life. Satsuki's choice when she confronts what might be May's sandal and the real possibility of her death is not to turn to the villagers for comfort or help, not to turn towards prayer or religion. Instead, Miyazaki has her bypass a Shinto shrine to turn toward nature and the fantastic in the form of the long leafy tunnel leading to Totoro. Her journey down the tunnel can be seen as her decision to travel back to into the faith and innocence of childhood and equally important to the world of the imagination. Her own creative reserves allow her to find her sister. Um, so I think it's it's an ending that certainly would play into the uh, overall like what the what we're talking about with nature and and magic and I like this bringing in imagination to it and it's like kind of agency to Satsuki and she's she's making the choice and and figuring out how to solve this herself. Um, I f- I find this at least on this viewing I found this uh, it is it's certainly very striking and feels a little different than what we've done. I'll say that in terms of the ending, I can totally see why it might not work for some people. Um, I found it to be very uh, like the the tragedy leading right up into the magic re- magical resolution was just like very cathartic and and very very happy. Like uh, I found that worked really well for me this time. I'm not sure I've had that exact reaction in the past. I'll say. Um, and I, and I like the, uh, the, the thematic implications 
of it as well. I, I, I like I like reinforcing that all of this is real. That's kind of what the ending specifically does. At the end, they go visit the mom in the hospital. They leave her the corn. And then um, you, you see this. So thereby you see proof kind of that this is what happened. They're kind of watching over it. Um, but you you see this proof that that it is real. Um, I, and I think, I think that like reinforces the, the, the child, the sense of wonder, the child's perspective and the, the magic of it, of it all, you know, like, um, sure. There's, there's some, of course there's some open-endedness as this only the children ever interacting with all these fantasy elements, but their, uh, their perspective is kind of validated by the end of the movie. What do you I, I wasn't trying to say that like, I don't want this to be real. I just like the idea that it is ambiguous, that it is like the way they affect the world is through means that you can question whether it actually helped anything, whether it actually did anything. And I don't, and, and, but them actually being real, I have no problem with that. I am happy that they are real and that these kids did find this magical stuff in the forest. It's just, it feels really strange to have these magical creatures that are just kind of about and doing their own thing to suddenly just actively help the main characters. It just feels counter to how they were acting earlier in the movie i agree it's and it and it, it goes against our expectations kind of like i said like these are generally spirits are generally not helping or being uh they're generally pretty impartial and yeah. that's kind of how they're presented uh totoro is presented i mean he's very neutral like he's he's he does things that the kids enjoy but i think you can still interpret it pretty him just being kind of a force of nature but at the end he, he specifically helps and i i agree it is different and it's striking and um uh i think i think miyazaki always goes for these types of endings you know i think um the ending of, of nasuka very optimistic very up, up uplifting uh feels some people might question it i think he goes for the bold kind of notable type ending even if it's not what you'd expect even if you might not end up liking it even if you might you might like it later you might not like it at some point um that's kind of my interpretation currently and we'll see how if it's reinforced as we keep going through his movies but uh i feel like it's it's the you know the third bold ending i feel for miyazaki in a row that we that we've covered here um delaney delaney what was your reaction quickly to the ending uh this viewing so like talking about these bold Endings, And I think this has a lot to do with Miyazaki's worldview and this hopefulness at the end of, you know, the hopefulness at the end of Nausicaa, the hopefulness at the end of this movie. And really, for me, you know, we're talking about like, I, I'm a sucker for the whole like children are, you know, they're, they're innocent, they're um, this, they can see things that the adults cannot because they believe. And so I really enjoy that and that they're not that they're rewarded at the end, but this like not only did Totoro help them, but they also like, you know, they were companions for Totoro. And so just this like their sense of wonder and this, you know, and when uh, Satsuki, she so she has to be she has to be so responsible this whole movie. And then when she finally breaks down and then like you were saying where she runs away from the villagers because, you know, this kind of this like and uh, the Napier quote, this going back to innocence, running back and choosing childhood and asking Totoro for help. I think this is, you know, talking, you know, and 
also the themes of like modernity in Japan at the time. And this, just this going back to innocence. And I think that's really what, you know, for me, I, that, I think it's a really powerful ending and like, it's very satisfying that you know, they get their magical help and it's real because the children believe and it is real because it's real, but also like there's this thing that the children can experience that the adults cannot. Yeah, I think, and I think, yeah, the, this movie makes probably the best use of that trope that I've seen and pr- probably does not invent that trope. Like we constantly say with um, in influences of Ghibli films, but it certainly uh, rebroadcasts it in a wide, uh, in, a, in a wide sense for later uh, pieces, later children's media to, to use a lot, I would say. Um, yeah, I think I, 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 yeah, the ending feels very Miyazaki. He goes for the happier, more optimistic, more, um, good sense of the world type things. That's kind of like how he's trying. He wants to, he wants to see good people, um, in his movies. Um, and he wants to see good things happen. Um, he think we, we've read some quotes of him kind of, um, alluding to that fact. And then in, in, I think what's notable though is a lot of times his environmentalism, quickly touching on the recurring Miyazaki theme, ends up being a very pessimistic view. Like you see, uh, Nazca is the, the end result of the humans, uh, uh, completely destroying the planet. Um, you know, I think we see a lot of selfish humans and the environment maybe in spirited away, certainly in Mononoke, so like selfish humans, like destroying everything. Here's, uh, Totoro potential reinforcing this maybe being the happiest uh, Miyazaki movie also I think the most optimistic he's very optimistic sense of 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 environmentalism in this movie which is kind of Totoro representing the forest and the interactions these positive interactions between humans and nature I would say uh as as through with the kids interacting with Totoro um, quote from Napier, more sustainable and beneficial approach to the natural environment in Japan has gone beyond pop culture to become a rallying point for governmental and environmental organizations. The note of a creature such as Totoro, a spirit who lives in the woods near a village and interacts benignly with humanity, suggests the possibility of a revitalized relationship between humanity and nature. Um, so I, that, that that's kind of my sense of the this movie's perspective towards, towards nature. You have no villains kind of destroying the forest. You have don't really have those type of selfish human characters indicative, uh, which are present in most of his other works. And I do think that kind of enhances the joy and the, the optimism I feel like that you get from this movie. Maybe this is the, this is what he wants, what he's advocating for in, uh, in, in his other parables. I, sorry, I, I, I agree that you're saying, I have a question about the dub now, Dylan, because they had the part in the middle where they go to the big tree and the dad says, we, uh, this, this, this tree grew back when people were friends with, with nature. I don't know how that was translated, like what that mm. was in, in, in the sub. Yeah. It, it, sounds, it sounds about right. Okay. It, it, it just felt very, it was very a point. It was a very pointed thing to say, but the rest of the movie didn't really seem to think that these people were living against nature. It, it seemed to like really make the house that was falling apart and going back to nature, this really, really exciting thing for the kids. Like it didn't seem that 
things were like nature was bad or things yeah, nature well, was at least it, at least they're acting positively towards nature um, yeah but that's interesting because this movie is the fantasy of uh, going back to nature for miyazaki he's moving away from um i won't read the full quote but the, a summary of like 80s japan being the uh, the bubble period where he feels like materialism is taking over and people are losing their sense of natural connection and their connection with past Japan, very Miyazaki and kind of, uh, notions. Um, but, uh, so this movie is him going back to his childhood and fantasizing about like this, this, uh, this time when there was, uh, a very positive interaction with nature and with the, the, you know, the countryside is another big thing. We'll see this from a few Ghibli movies only yesterday coming up very notably of this notion of, uh, the cities ramping up and you want to go back to the countryside to experience nature in its full, um, you know, in its full lens, you want to experience Japanese, older Japanese culture. Um, and, uh, yeah, th- this movie describes as a pastoral utopia. Um, certainly a big aspect of this, which is heavily played up, I think, in the beginning of the movie. Um, so I, I yeah, I, that's, that is interesting, but probably even in those times, they would say things like that. Uh, I don't remember exactly what that was. Um, Delaney, what, any response to the environmentalism discussion? Well, I think, the like you know because i think that's it's interesting to talk about this in the framework of mizaki's other works because you have nausicaa and it's you know it was completely destroyed and so that the struggle in nausicaa is the response to that but here we are it just simply is this is a complete this is enjoyment this is you know every you know that the pastoral utopia like this is you know, everything is so joyful and happy because this is where we are. We're in the countryside and we have these gorgeous shots of the rice paddies. And we have lot several scenes where we see people harvesting the vegetables. Um, and we have that. And, you know, that scene with uh, Granny and the kids and they're like, oh, well, if your mother eats my vegetables, she'll get right. She'll get better. And also like just this. In the opening sequence, there's this very, I think, pointed scene of, like, when they're going through the city or, like, when they're in, like, just this, like, the difference between where they live and, like, you know, like, a town. And so it's really interesting, like, this exploration to its, like, basically Nausicaa is, like, worst case scenario and this is best case scenario. Yeah, it feels that way, I think. I think so. Um yeah, the it's yeah, I, and and we'll we'll see how these the future movies start to treat um these Miyazaki's view of humans and the environment. Um interested in maybe see how that's approached in Kiki's. I don't know if it's as explicitly um as some of these other movies. I also think that this movie has a lot to say about like community because there's this big emphasis on Granny who's not even their grandmother like taking care of May and stuff like that. Like people in this small in the country here all seem to be rather close knit despite the fact that there's not a lot of them out there. And I think that's definitely something that's being the the movie's saying this is good. Like this is a good thing that people all like want to work together and help each other. Yeah. We, we talked briefly on the castle pod about Miyazaki's notion of a collect supportive collective. This is a common recurring element. I think you'll see throughout his movies. He, he, his ideal is people propping each other up and helping each other in the community. Um, certainly see that here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we, I think we've seen that from past moves and we'll kind of, uh, 
So, but yeah, you're right. We, we they, there's this whole other family with Grant. We didn't talk a lot about Granny until recently, um, but uh, or na- Nanny um, integrity. Yeah, and uh, and they're 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 all like she's helping with uh, the childcare and and they you know there's this whole thing with I think giving the umbrella um, a lot of giving people different umbrellas. Yeah, very very supportive movie. I would say all around all these actions. Uh, talk get more into the characters a little bit. We've talked a lot about them already. Satsuki and May. Uh, these one of uh, on one viewing, I definitely like. Uh, in the past, like saw these as some of the most real kids. I feel like I've seen in in movies and TV. Satsuki and May, just um, their their demeanors and uh, May very much feels like like a young kid. And I think it's impressive how she's like realistically. Um, maybe like petulant and stuff at times, but still sympathetic and lovable. Um, I think it's, it's a good balance drawn in Satsuki, uh, very like hardworking and supporting the family while still feeling like a kid. And I think, um, Maddie, my, fa- I, so I love the Totoro dub because, uh, Satsuki and May are voiced by real life sisters, uh, Dakota and Elle Fanning. Um, oh my god, I should have known it was Dakota Fanning. I was like trying to when, figure out who the voice <laughs> When they were small children though. So like they're around the ages of these characters, some of their, their first roles. Um and uh yeah, just t- two very prominent like Hollywood sisters as as kids voicing the sisters in this movie. Like amazing. That's, that's actually really cool because you can tell from the movie that there is some amount of rapport with the actors, which is interesting considering they're both kids, but they definitely like I, I would guess that they recorded their scenes in the same room together because they were just mostly acting off each other the whole time. Yeah, I think so. There's a behind the scenes of the dev recording I'm going to dig up to, to which will show that. But um, just on that fact alone, I love the Disney Totoro dub. I, I just know you love Dakota Fanning, Dylan. Yeah, El Fanning. Too. I mean, there's still in a bunch of stuff. It's like it, this. There, them being the sisters movie holds up. I think as their <laughs> cultural relevance and it's. I don't know. I don't was, know about was Dakota any of the Fanning other. the woman in uh, Jedlock. Am I forgetting? Am I remembering that right? Yes, correct. Okay, <laughs> correct. the woman that didn't matter. Uh, yeah, we're not talking about Jedlock. Uh, but <laughs> sorry, sorry. Say... <laughs> I just I'm talking about Dakota Fanning. To be fair. Uh, Delay. Yeah, it's related. Delaney, uh, Satsuki and made thoughts that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, I just, I'm such a sucker for sibling relationships. And this is like, it's like peak sibling relationship. And it's really like, it just, it's so, like you were saying, it's so believable. Like these are, they, they get to be kids. And it's not just that kind of like, uh, you know, it's not, you know, Susuki is, she, you know, she's taken up a lot of responsibility and she's very much the older sister, but then she also gets to be a kid so that it's, it's, it just feels right. Like it, it feels so much more real as opposed to when you have like, you know, the older sister who, you know, can do anything and isn't allowed to like have emotions or which I think is part of why when she breaks down, it was, it was such, it's such a powerful scene because she's been so strong throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point. I, I, I got to read this Miyazaki quote about, uh, Satsuki and then Meitu kind of these being these aspects of Miyazaki. I think his his personality rubs off on a lot of his characters, but uh, specifically Satsuki and Mei being Miyazaki from uh, Napier says, um, uh, the two aspects of his personality uh, uh, project onto the person, onto his child heroes, the 
the dotty young May who wears her emotions on her sleeve and actively enters the world of the fantastic is closer to Miyazaki's heart, untouched by the family responsibilities Miyazaki had to take on in boyhood. Satsuki, in contrast, gets up early to cook the family's breakfast and take, takes up the mothering role towards May. Understandably, given her age and assumption of adult responsibilities, she is reluctant to believe in the fantasy world her sister wholeheartedly embraces. Ghibli's producer, Suzuki, recalls an angry discussion with Miyazaki in which Suzuki insisted that such a good kid as Satsuki couldn't possibly exist. Miyazaki furiously retorted, oh she God. did exist. That was me. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's my impression. Um, so that's so a good funny. Miyazaki quote. Uh <laughs> I just want to read some other random Miyazaki quotes from this chapter in Napier book. We're not going to end up reading the full thing, but um, he's talking about uh, his Miyazaki says uh, he hates the Japanese economy and the Japanese people. And he says, uh, there's no, surely there's no more superficial people than the Japanese. They were not to be, to, they were not able to transcend the demon of rapid economic development. As a result, we have the corruption of the world, the loss of ideals and the worship of material things. Um, angry Miyazaki. Also, there's a quote about um, ecology fascists, he says. Uh, so uh, we'll be trying to read as many bombastic Miyazaki quotes as we can as we Thank go on. But... I, I I think it's interesting because you had a very similar quote for when we were talking about Castle. It seems like he has this fight like every time he makes a movie with kids, which is every movie. And I just find it really interesting because it really shows it says a lot more about the adults than it does the kids that they think kids are good. Cause I don't think I've, there are very few kids I meet that are like, this is a bad kid. Most kids are just having fun. Cause they're kids. Kids are good. That's the take. I like that. Like, take. like I, I mean, like I don't really want kids, but I like, they're like not mean people. They're just kids. They want to have fun. Some of them don't, don't understand empathy quite yet. And they need help with that, but they don't actively try to hurt people. Yeah, you're speaking Miyazaki's language here. I think it's <laughs> totally where he's coming from. And I, I agree. Uh, that's what a lot of these movies, uh, the, the characters kind of being these these good people and these good kids, I think, is, is about. Um, I, I, also think about- interesting, sorry, I also think it's interesting. Sorry, I forgot to mention that, that it's interesting that Miyazaki, he says that these two girls are him. It's just really interesting that he chose to make these two little girls represent himself from younger age. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It, and I think a lot of Miyazaki's protagonists um, have aspects of his personality and a lot of them end up being, being women and girls. And, you know, I think that's a large discussion on why this happens in terms of like what, what his mindset is and stuff and in the book and in other places. But um, you know, he wants to make a, a, a story I, of, he wants to make a story about two girls and, you know, he taps into them with his, his, his aspects of his personality. Um, and I, I think it's very admirable that he's able to kind of separate from like, it's not just boy characters that would be him, you know, it's like he's, he's, he's just putting himself into whatever characters he wants to highlight in the movie. Yeah. And I think it just, I think the biggest thing it says is that it shows that I think that these personality traits are a lot more acceptable in girl characters we see. If these were little boys, I don't know if, like, anyone would accept. Like, like I would be fine with it, but, I mean, like, I don't think that a general populace would be like, boys aren't like that. They're wild. They, like, try to break mm, everything. That's interesting. Yeah. I could see that, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the young boy we get is Kanta, who is maybe more of the <laughs> that type of character. Or not that he's, like, destructive he- or anything, but... 
he's is that different. his personality trait is crush on Satsuki. And he's like self-sacrificing. Like he gives their um, his umbrella to yeah, them when he doesn't need to. It's very yeah. a thing that like it's put on boys, not girls, that they do that kind of thing. And it's just mm-hmm. very interesting that there is the, there are these gender roles here, that even though he's trying to subvert them. And it's just interesting to, to see that. It's more like just these Miyazakian gender roles more than the normal ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think inevitably it would counter some of that, this being said in 50s Japan. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying this is a talk- bad thing. I'm just commenting on it. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's interesting commentary. I, I like it. Uh, we, t- we talked about the dad, um, and uh, I think generally uh, g- very good idealist, I- ideal dad for for these girls to a certain aspect. Although, yeah, he, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be good if he was uh, able to be more present and may not go missing and stuff. But uh, what we see from him, we see is a lot of a lot of good moments in the movie. And uh, yeah, any other, any other comments on the dad? I think we covered it. My favorite moment of the dad is having to having to have Satsuki come home for him to realize May has not come home for hours. Like, yeah, that's not is, great. <laughs> he's such a great dad, except for this one moment he gets caught up in his work and he's like, "Wait, we were supposed to eat lunch like an hour ago. Uh, yeah, where is yeah. your sister?" And it's just such a dad thing on so many levels. But he clearly is fine. Like he, it, it's just a, there's just so many different. There's so much in this movie that's just so different now culturally because you would not let your kids out like this nowadays. Like, yeah. you just don't do that. You don't let your four-year-old run around outside the house with no supervision. And that's but just... Made, but so- it makes sense that this would be a thing in in the 50s. Yeah, so, it makes yeah. sense. It makes sense in the, in the context of this movie, but it's just, it's very different. And, and another very different thing is when they're all taking a bath together, like, that's, that seems like a Japanese thing more than... Yeah, I think it's a, ja- a Japanese cultural thing that doesn't, uh, probably doesn't translate super well, but I think it's fine. Yeah. Like, it's I don't fine. think it comes across badly. No, it just, it just takes yeah, I mean, yeah, I think this communal bath in the house, though, it's a you know, yeah. very Japanese oh, yeah. type of area and stuff, and it being a regular optimistic occurrence, or I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah. Um, the the mom, so yeah, worth mentioning, I think we've vaguely alluded to it, but um, Miyazaki's mom, as I've referenced on the podcast, bedridden through most of his life, uh, does die when he's an adult. Um, she had tuberculosis, which the mom in this movie doesn't it's not stated in the movie but um is is you know prep the read the major reading of the movie would be that's what she has so you know i think um i wouldn't say this is a uh direct stand-in for Miyazaki's mom i think we've talked about previous characters that are also that are that are have aspects of her personality i mean apparently more of a bombastic personality like um in castle uh but in 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 you know in this movie i think just just her being sick and like that weighing on the kids and like them having to deal with it and take up more responsibilities definitely indicative of what he went through um as a kid um and not much to say about the mom i i would say herself well they just uh, it's just such a good fan like and that's i enjoy stories where like the conflict isn't the parents versus the kids like this is they are dealing with things outside of their control, but they are like a unit. And that's, you know, that's why the, you know, the bath scene is so sweet and you know, the way the dad interacts with the kids and like when, and uh, you know, the letters to the mom, like everything like that is just so it's so sweet. Yeah. Letters are good. I do. I do like that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, Nanny or Granny, who we've talked about, um, 
another as we're tracking kind of um older female characters in Miyazaki's movies. Um another notable one here. Uh she, yeah, she, she she's she's good. Uh, yeah, I like the scene with the the picking the core and I think that's a very notable one, yeah. Um but not uh a lot else to say about that. Um I I just I forgot to comment on this before, but I li- I like Delaney's earlier analysis of this being a very emotionally driven movie. I would say it's a very thematic and emotionally driven movie if there's not a lot of plot backing that drives the movie i don't know if the character i don't know if there's like these crazy character arcs that are going from start to finish although like they're dealing with their uh this time of unrest i would say is the overarching set thing that's going on with the girls um the move and dealing with their mommy in the hospital but um yeah so i think i think that the character analysis is not going to be as uh maybe in depth as, as some of these other things we're talking about well, it's so interesting, this movie, that, you know, they're just reacting to things that are happening to them, which I think is part of what makes the magic so compelling is because they need the magic. And, like, to have that help, like, to, you know, it makes, it's like you were saying earlier, it's so cathartic. And this, like, these are things outside of their control. And, you know, they need a little magic to to get through it because, you know, it's not really up to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also like that notion of like their, the, the, the f- antagonistic force is like something outside of their control. And like the movie is just them grappling with that basically. And it's just life. It's not. It is just life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's quickly on animation influence as influences segment. I don't have a lot for this one, but we're talking about the kid's perspective. I mean, I think like a Steven and Steven universe where we see it through his perspective, um, potentially, uh, influenced by this the big obvious one is appa and avatar is the cat bus he's much the, better i would much rather ride appa than the cat bus much better than the cat bus Bold yeah. in, in terms of rideability but see in the appa you have to ride on top you have to grab on less secure cat bus but you don't inside. have to ride inside of appa <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if you did though it wouldn't be interesting <laughs> you'd be terrifying <laughs> Appa's like a very uh, sweet, gentle creature. Cat buses, I think it comes across more mischievously, at least with his. Yeah, uh, that's why I don't want to ride inside it, Dilly, because I don't know what that cat's going to do to me. Oh, I want to, since I just said he for cat bus, I want to say Totoro. I'm not sure it's even gendered in the, in the Japanese, original Japanese, but I think we inevitably call Totoro male. I think uh, they used male pronouns one time in the dub, but I might be incorrect on that. But, like, we totally think of that, and the cat bus, we totally think of them as male creatures. It's a very that, American sense of anthropom- anthropomorphizing Yeah, monsters things. are male. We always, just generally, I think, things that don't have explicitly female genders, we think of as male. Well, Disney. yeah, quote-unquote, yeah, the default. Yeah. I think, And I think that's not the case in Japan. Actually, you know, we'll talk about that with... Kiki's next week. I believe that there is a big difference between the sub and the dub with Kiki's on that. So lead into there. Uh, Okay, let's talk about the score. Yes, Um, music. Yeah, yeah. You you already had a great analysis of it in the beginning. Yeah, I know. I don't have much more to say, Dylan. I just like the music. Yeah, so I'll highlight some of the and trying to listen to it. Highlight some of the big ones. I mean, obviously the ending song, the My Neighbor Totoro ending theme. Which I think instrumentally pops up earlier in the movie too. The Totoro, Totoro, right? Um, it's it's actually that. through the movie, yeah. Throughout the whole movie, there. It's I've tried to isolate some of my favorite tracks, but there's really just these themes that recur throughout every track. 
which I think is a, a, a Isaishi thing. So like my my other than the to, the Totoro Totoro like that, I I love that and then the other big thing I live is the the trees theme. Yes. Uh like the tree has a theme and I think it's most notable in the track on the soundtrack a it's, huge tree in the Sukumori forest. But it by the the tree has a theme is very a very Mizaki Yeah, that's so uh, good. <laughs> I think that's what that you like. so good. You could say it's the forest theme or nature's theme, but no. it's definitely the tree is the, that is this tree movie's has most. a theme. Yeah, and you know it's 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 dun 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 dun. I don't know. I'm not going to do it right, but uh, one of one of my most memorable sounds of a Miyazaki movie, just the general uh, beat or whatever of the, the this kind of recurring thing throughout throughout the movie. I think it's uh, captures the magic of of what Totoro is going for. Well, there's a lot of these, like, in this movie, a lot of big sounds, but quiet. And I think I really enjoy that for, like, you know, just... And because it sounds so stupid to say this out loud, but Miyazaki's movies are so visual. Like, where there's no... There's no dialogue, and there are a lot of scenes in this film where there's no... There's no music, which, like, all of the rain... I'm all about the rain sounds. All of the rain scenes in this movie are great... But like these, you know, the the music behind these scenes of, you know, the countryside or looking at the forest, they're just so powerful. Yeah, I I'm, I agree. I I mean, like I said, it's for when I'm talking about Miyazaki's approach to movies, it's inherently visual. He doesn't even do a script most right. of the time. He he just does images straight into storyboards. It's like inherently the most visual. Um, and I think it, that's why it fits with kind of Hisaishi's minimalism. Um, although they, there's like, it's tempting to not see that in terms of there's these just iconic tracks for a lot of these movies and you're just like, oh, there's so much music, but there's, there's really much less music than your average and movie and in, in them. It's more impressive though, Dylan, than that there's iconic tracks that there are in this movie, despite the minimalism, there are consistent melodies. There are consistent, yeah, yeah. like, um, I'm forgetting the word. I'm feeling really bad about it. Motifs. Uh, motifs. motifs yeah. Thank you. Boom. Motifs. And um, they come back again and again and again, specifically the motif when Mei and Satsuki are playing together right after they move into the house. They're outside and there's this very, very or it's just Mei, I'm sorry. And it's this very, um, it, it's this motif that's used over and over and over again through the movie. And I won't hum it because that's not going to be fun for anyone to listen to. But it's just, if you go oh, back and yeah. listen to that scene, it's just, it's kind of the framework for all the music of, music of the movie. And it's, I find that really really good like setting up your songs it, it, music is very like soundtracks are very different than like the actual movie because in a movie you want to force you want to like foreshadow but you want to don't want to tell too much but in a movie counterintuitively you kind of want to give the audience all the music up front you want to front load them so you they know that when they hear a musical cue they kind of know what's happening before they can even consciously acknowledge it they you want a character to be assigned a cue or a little ditty so that when you hear it, you get excited before you even realize you're getting excited. But you can't do that if you only have that theme show up when that character mm. finally shows up at the, near the end of the movie or something. And it's very counterintuitive to the rest of, I think, movie making. Yeah, you, I think it's a great point that despite a lot, like you know how much ever percent of this movie taking place in silence or at least without music, like some thirty to some forty something like you know there are these iconic motifs that. Yeah, I think this movie is a great example of that. Um, 
Yeah, you mentioned. I don't know if this is the same one you're talking about, but the the the, sound, the track, the village in May, in the beginning. It's probably that one. The, that's probably at the one. House is is uh, that that's one of my favorites too. And then there's Moonlight Flight, which is an instrument, instrumental version of the end Totoro theme. But whole soundtrack, really good. Um, let's see how many times I say this throughout the series, but probably my my new favorite uh, in terms of <laughs> listening to the the soundtracks more paying more attention on this this watch through um castle is really good uh is really good i think this this is probably my current favorite so we'll see i mean spirited away is probably gonna top I, but we'll see about that i like this one more as like a companion to the movie like it fits the tone it like very perfectly captures what's going on there's very little brass and the brass that there is is either very quiet or muted like there's muted trumpets in the background at the climax of the movie at the end with the cat bus like a lot of them, like blowing the, that very like like noise. It's very, I, very, very distinct. Um, but Castle has, I think, more range in its music, and it's a lot more interesting to listen to on my like on its own. Yeah, nice. Um, and the last one I mentioned, the intro song uh, "Hey, Let's Go" is over the intro credits. is is really good too. Um, last thing, want to make sure to touch on all the notable scenes I'd written down. I think we talked about most of them. The one we haven't talked quite as much about is the sprouting of the seeds with Totoro, and then they ride the wind. Um, arguably the most magical scene of the movie, um, I would say. Uh, that comes right after the bus stop scene, which I, I did talk, uh, I think, enough about that, but that one's also incredibly magical. But yeah, going right into the bus stop, into the, this, the, the seeds and Totoro, and is, is pretty, pretty high point of the movie. And then we get into the drama, I think, after that. Um, May meeting Totoro in the tree, and then in the beginning, May in the suit sprites. Yeah, those it, those kind of all my all my favorite scenes. Totoro, uh, May meeting Totoro, Totoro opening his mouth the first time is terrifying. <laughs> you think he's going to eat May? I mean, I knew he wasn't, but I mean, also his mouth was huge. What if he was, did, though? His mouth was very Appa-esque. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Appa is a Totoro cat bus blend like it, it very much looked like i mean it very much looked like it like it was very much the same structure to it with the herb- herbivorous teeth in there yeah yeah okay i um i will say upon rewatch that the scene i was most looking forward to was the sprouting like i was like getting amped up when i knew like when i when it was yeah. coming like when they give them the seeds and i was like oh boy oh boy they're gonna grow the seeds <laughs> like injected into my veins give give me the seeds yeah, so I it's such a beautiful scene and I love the like when they come in and they're dancing and then the kids join and then like obviously it's beautiful like this is you know very you know this is that scene in every movie that's just you know midnight flight like so gorgeous and you know and just watching the tree grow and they go all the way up and just I love it when they play like the horns with him and then then the next morning they wake up and they run around doing the dance again. Oh, it's just, it's like that. It's the happiest part of the movie and it's just so beautiful and they're so cute. Everyone is so cute. Yeah. I I'm, I'm always amazed by that scene. I'll say Um, it's just, it's, it doesn't matter how many times I'm going to watch it. It just feels so good. It is the snackiest part of the movie. That's the snackiest part. This is is the junk food right here. This is the snack. Back to yeah, the junk food in my eyes. Yeah, yes, um, I agree. I agree. That's and for your soul. I think the soul is a more conventional way of saying that. Well, yeah. there's junk food uh, for your eyes in that like it. I just so think I've never heard that phrase before. <laughs> yeah, no, I've definitely never. Like it's like chicken <laughs> for the soul. No, junk food for the soul. Here you go. 
Delaney exclusive. It's a Delaney version. So it makes you happy, but it's inevitably bad for you? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think we're concerned with the bad for you. I really like Jungkook. Okay, okay, we're just not going to worry about it. We're not going to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. the, yeah, the, yeah, just the 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 bus stop into the sprouting. Yeah, just um, just pure magic, and then like the, that magic of the ending too. Um, played really well this time, and uh, yeah, Totoro uh, under ninety minute movie. Um, I think it does feel longer than that, probably. Uh, but certainly not um, the epic lengths of some others. We'll see. Not that, nearly obviously. as long as Spirited Away. Yeah, again, Spirited Away only two hours five yeah. minutes. You know, it's, yeah, it's only two hours. It's really not that long. But it's I guess not I, like in, a four hour. Like I like Spirited Away. Like I don't want to like, but it's. It we'll just talk about it when we get to it. So I think long. its immersiveness makes it longer. I, in my head, Nausicaa is always uh, two forty five, and it's only two hours. So yeah, uh, fair. Miyazaki's movies have these qualities sometimes. Delaney, closing thoughts on My Neighbor Totoro, though. I this is definitely making me appreciate like the rewatchability of Ghibli movies. Like what you were saying that there's always something new to get, and because these movies are such a journey. And again, I have to watch all of the Ghibli movies because they're so great. But Totoro is just such a happy movie, and it's just so nice to watch. And I really appreciated like getting to watch it again, and especially to explore more of the environmentalism like aspects of the movie instead of just taking it at face value. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, at the very least, the iconic Miyazaki movies uh, are kind of infinitely rewatchable. Your Nausicaa Castle, this one, um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see which of which else we'd put in that group. Most of them, I would say, all of Miyazaki's. Um, and uh, it's not, you know, I, this movie, I could watch this movie again tonight, you know. Same. I, like this, I could watch this every night to go to bed. It, it might, it's probably the most rewatchable one just because of how happy it is yeah it's like what whenever you can put this on i might need a break i just i just finished watching it well you just finished it yeah so what are you speaking of what are your closing thoughts Matt? uh i think that um it's interesting because i watched a few ghibli movies when i was younger like um i saw mononoke and spared away notably when i was younger and then some a little later when i was in like my later teens but other than that there's been a huge like just blank space where i didn't keep up with to try to watch them all and i think this one might have been a little overhyped for me where it was just that i didn't know what i was going to expect i knew a lot of people knew it as their favorite and i thought it was very cute very fun very good like i don't think it's a bad movie it's just i don't think it could ever reach the heights that it was overhyped to for me yeah i think that is valid i that's kind of what i experienced when i was younger like uh you know this is one of the movies you'll talk hear about a lot and uh some people will you'll read lists this is number one of whatever all time you'll see some lists like that so i do think this is like very hyped up and it's not the type of movie that should be hyped up like that it's a very quiet like realistic yeah. movie so it doesn't i think play well with the expectations it, it took it took me a while to get there i think with it i think i was i had that impression at first too like people hype um, up spirited away like it, it made sense when i find when i saw it as when i was younger. It's, it's epic it rises to it yeah. this movie is is quieter yeah hey yeah so and then you know you just see this everywhere um, but there's also, yeah, there's a there's definitely a large, uh, contingent of like Miyazaki diehards that wouldn't put this in their top five. You know, I think it's like, everyone like thinks it's great. I think a lot of people wouldn't put it, uh, right up there. Um, I'd say I used to be that, but after this viewing, you know, the, for me, this is right there, right below the, the best of the best. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to heavily consider this in the top five, like right, right in Castle of the Sky territory. 
um, kind of right about that for me, which is, you know, right below your Spirited Aways, which uh, we'll, but we'll see when we get to the all the rest of these movies. And we got Kiki's Delivery Service next week. Um, I think a good companion to, um, you know, probably I said some things how like most Miyazaki movies are epic fantasies except for this one. But Kiki's also very grounded, but it's but just more a cat. of magic. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the cat. Yeah, the, and that was kind of what I was referring to with the gendered uh, creature. Um, so we'll see how that's handled in both versions and stuff. Uh, this movie is a cat, too. So very similar movies. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, I know it's a hot take, but I hate Cat Bus so much. I really do. This is not me like... When will you learn to love Cat Bus? It's when not like an exaggeration. Like, I'm not exaggerating for effect here, Dylan. I legitimately hate Cat Bus. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, I don't know if anyone stands Cat Bus, so I don't know if it's like uh It was definitely something I knew was going to happen. Everyone says, hey, Cat Bus is coming. And I've seen like, I think, <laughs> images of it, like, like of like models of it, but seeing it in motion, seeing it like actually do its thing is like, this is horrifying. Who would like love this? Yeah, well, there's like, there's a Cat Bus in the Ghibli Museum and that the kids jump on. So kids love it, I guess. Uh, kids I don't know. are wrong. Do kids <laughs> You keep watching Totoro until you learn to love Cat Bus. That's the challenge here. <laughs> we'll see how many how many viewings it takes. <laughs> over and like concurrently, over and over until I put it on nonstop in the background, no matter what. Until it's like, you admit to love Clockwork Orange, but Totoro. Yeah, I don't know how many it would take, but uh, okay. Tell that we'll see. That, that's we'll, that's the opinion we'll get from everyone's podcast. What are your Cat Bus thoughts? Uh, is it strong love, strong hate, somewhere in the middle? I feel like it must be going to be somewhere in the middle on Cat Bus. Cat Bus is magical. I don't know if it's like a creature you like love and you... Uh, I love the Cat Bus. It's a cat. You love, love the Cat Bus. Yeah. I mean, it is a cat. Hard to argue against that. You go inside the cat. You know, how how do you hate that? How, do you, how would you... And it uh, looks so comfy. Like, <laughs> like, she like sinks into the seats. Like, it's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's either... I- Comfy or horrifying, depending it, on your perspective. It looks comfy as heck. I'm just saying that because it's alive, I'm terrified of it. Cat bus, take me away. Take <laughs> take us away, cat bus, and the cat bus won't hurt you, Maddie. That's the other response I have. I, it won't hurt you. I'm <laughs> sure cat bus, bus won't hurt me, Dylan. But I don't want to risk it. It's not it. coming here. Like, it could probably come here pretty quickly, though. You know, it's probably Santa yeah. Claus that's what I don't like about it. It's probably <laughs> Santa Claus. Really, uh, Santa should use the cat bus. That is the hottest take. <laughs> oh my god! Like Santa's sleigh being dragged by by cat bus no, to the it air. It is the cat bus. He just has the presence inside. Oh, the cat oh, bus. he's riding inside it like along just the power riding line. The cat bus. I will yeah. say, I really like the scenes of like the cat bus like running along different things. Like the yeah. power lines was really really fun. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, like I said, any Totoro thoughts in uh, the comments section anywhere you're listening? Find all those links at Overly Animated. Dot com. Um, we will be continuing our Ghibli rewatch series, so subscribe to make sure you don't miss future Ghibli podcasts. Um, and uh, if you want to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash overly animated. Thanks to our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Reshi Poo. And thanks as well to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Um, check out other stuff we got going on at overlyanimated.com, and we'll be back to talk kiki's delivery service next time thanks for listening guys we'll see you then bye bye, bye.